to the book of John, chapter 1. And we have come in our understanding that in the beginning was the Word, and that the Word created all things. And now this amazing thing that the Word is going to become incarnate. And I want to read the first 18 verses of this, even though we'll be taking as our subject verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and peace were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. In the beginning was the I Am, the Creator of all things. And in the I Am and in the Word is life. In that same Word is light. And that same Word took on human flesh. The Word which always has been is the Savior. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And He is Lord over all things, both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. And He is the Son of God. 
And he came into this earth and he took on a human body who we know as Jesus of Nazareth. That word that took on human flesh is eternal. That word was in perpetual approachness of nearness to God. As we've seen here in verse 18, it says that He is the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He is contemporary with God. As God acts, He acts. As God thinks, He thinks. As God speaks, He speaks. There is a cooperation of activity. Acting in conjunction with God and yet distinct. Because the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, that Word is deity. One essenced with the Father and with the Spirit of God. It is that Word that created every individual component of what we see and what we don't see. And John bore witness of that light. Because that light is the true light. The Word is the genuine and ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. There is nothing else that can be disclosed other than the Word made flesh. And that Word, taking on human flesh, entered into the darkness of this world. That Word came into a world that was created by Him. But the world did not know Him. It doesn't mean that they didn't recognize His name, Jesus of Nazarene. That didn't mean that they didn't acknowledge that He did certain miracles. But they did not know Him, who He is, that He is that pre-existent, eternal Word. And the world's relationship to that incarnate world, a word just like today, is non-recognition. Would you agree with that? That as the world celebrates, as it were, some measure, some small finite measure of Jesus Christ, that they really don't know who He is. It is that of non-recognition. And you'll see that in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world, world did not know Him. But that incarnate Word also entered into and unto His own people. That ethnic Israel. He entered into their temple. He was born under the law. He was born in the promised land. And the world did not recognize Him or did not know Him, but His own people and His own things, amazingly, did not receive Him. 
Their relationship to the incarnate word is still today what it was then, non-reception. The world not recognizing, the Jew not receiving. But there are those, both Jew and Gentile, verse 12, who receive the word incarnate. It is to those people and those people alone that have the right of being the children of God because they have been given a common nature. And that's what I mean when I say, who is my mother and my father and my brother and my sisters? Are not they who keep the will of God? Are they not us together meeting on the Lord's day as His people? This is our family. And we will be together forever and ever and ever because we share that common nature. These people have received and believed. And to receive and believe involves something that the world does not understand and involves a birth. And this birth is not of blood. In other words, you don't become a child of God through physical bloodlines. It's not because you're Jewish or not because you are the people of the land. It's not because your parents were Christian and it's just kind of been passed on to you as some kind of religious heritage. The birth does not happen that way. The birth also is not of the will of the flesh. In other words, you and I can't sit around and just say, well, I'm going to become a child of God because I will to be a child of God. Our will has nothing to do with this birth. And the birth is not of the will of man, meaning you cannot become a child of God because someone else other than yourself desires for you to be. As parents, as believing parents, don't you wish you could do that for your children? But you can't do that. This birth is totally and completely of God. It is the God side of the coin. The other side of the coin, this happens instantaneously. The birth and the believing happen together. Why is this? Because salvation is of the Lord. And fallen men and women chafe at that. They want something to do with it. They will not bow their knee and ask for mercy. They will not go to the Creator for the new creation. And the amazing thing that has occurred is that this Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Up to verse 14, we still don't know the name of this person. All we know is that John gave witness of that true light, and that true light is coming into the world. We know that the life is the light of men. We know that life is eternal and it is in the Word. 
And we know that word was in the beginning with God, and He is God. In the amazing thing, verse 14, in these five words, and the word became flesh. Folks, the word becoming flesh is what we mean when we use the word incarnation. Incarnation is a Latin phrase. And it basically literally means into flesh. The word into flesh. In the fullness of time, not early nor late, but in the fullness of time, the eternal word who was with God and was God took on at a point of human history humanity. Have you ever thought how amazing that is? Have you ever thought about how condescending that is? What type of love would it take for deity to do this? This was the point in human history that all the promises of God apexed. Prior to this point in history, the promises all looked forward to their completion. After this point of human history, all the promises look back and see its fulfillment. Paul would write, For as many as the promises of God, in Him they are yes and amen to the glory of God. All the promises are complete and fulfilled in Him. We don't see all of them complete in time, but they have all come to a completion at His incarnation, at His death, burial, and resurrection. Not yet, but yet already is the time in which we live. There's no doubt that all those promises are going to happen in human history exactly like they have been written. What is my guarantee of that? The Word becoming flesh. And all those promises apexed in this point of human history, apexed in the Son of God, and brought to pass in the Son of God. In my opinion... And my, this, I'm not the only one to have this opinion. The incarnation is the greatest miracle that has ever happened. Or will ever happen in these existing ages. It's greater than the original creation. It should not surprise us that a great God could create. 
It's greater than the coming new heavens and the new earth because that is just a new physical creation. It is greater than having a baby. Many times we will talk about the miracle of a woman giving birth. And it is, is it not? It is amazing. It is greater than my cancer being healed or any other disease in which they have declared, man has declared as terminal and yet I am healed. It is greater than any of the inventions of modern medical science. It is greater than man's so-called wisdom, knowledge, power, ability. It is greater than any, per, any athlete could do on an athletic field. This is the greatest miracle that ever happened. It's even greater than resurrection. Why do I say that? Because it should never or should not surprise us that the Word who in Him is life would give life. To give life out of nothing and from that which has no life like dust of the earth in Genesis forming man from the dust of the earth totally inanimate material and breathing into him the breath of of life, and He lives? That is amazing, but not like this. Can you fully explain what it means for deity to take on humanity? Can you and I even fathom the depths of this? Even Mary herself asked the angel of the Lord, how can this thing be? Do you hear that? And as one commentator has stated, you and I must be content with the Lord's answer. Here's His answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child, this child will be unique. The Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Mary, here's God's answer to your question, how can this thing be? <clears throat> Nothing is impossible with God. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to think of what Mary herself and the privilege and the grace that came upon her. Mary found favor with God just like Noah found favor with God. Jesus is that ark, the Savior of man, just like the ark was the Savior of the world in that day. Nothing is impossible with Him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw, we saw the glory. Now note, it says His glory. We saw the glory of the Word made flesh. And folks, these men who walked with Christ, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. 
These men who walked with Christ these years, they were not men that just naively accepted what Jesus said to them. They were not ignorant men. They were not men who just stood by and would accept anything that they heard or that they saw. These men, as it were, put the Son of God, the Word made flesh, to test. This wasn't a test to try to prove what was wrong. It was a test to discern whether it was right or not. And John himself, the same one who said, in the beginning was the Word, he begins his epistle the same way. What was from the beginning? Do you see that? Do you have a note in your Bible, what was from the beginning? You should have Word beside that. John 1.1 What was from the beginning? What we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes. What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word. But in the Word was life. Concerning the Word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you what kind of life eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Folks, those men who beheld that glory, the Word becoming flesh, they listened to Him. They listened to Him. Not like you and I today, right? They listened to Him. They listened to what He said, how He said it, when He said it. They recognized there's something unique about these words that they are listening to. Peter would say when all the people left Him, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. They listened with their ears. They scrutinized with their eyes. You talk about living in a fishbowl. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived in a fishbowl. He was constantly being scrutinized with people's eyes whether they were the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were looking to find some type of sin in Him, or whether it was the disciples that kept needing to have confirmed in their own hearts that He is who that He preached and talked to them that He was. Folks, you and I sometimes miss just how amazing it is that those 11 Jews, and there were others, But those 11 Jews that we call apostles, they were Jewish. They would never call a human being deity. Never. It was ingrained in them from the time that they could remember. From generation to generation to generation, 
There is only one God. Never in their minds would they ever think about a man being called God, and yet that's exactly what these men came to be persuaded about. And you remember Thomas, after the resurrection, he just blurted out, my Lord and my, my God. They listened intently with their ears. <clears throat> they scrutinized with their eyes. And what they beheld was the Word in human flesh. What would it have been like to embrace Jesus? They touched Him. And you know what they found when they touched Him? Flesh. Just like you and me. They touched His human body. they probably embraced Him in love. They probably laughed with Him at those rare moments when our Lord did laugh. Life, This life is not a laughing matter. And what they heard, and what they scrutinized, and what they touched, they came to understand was eternal life. Eternal life in a human body. Do you understand how amazing it is that they came to believe that? John would write, if I wrote everything down that this person who is eternal life did, I suppose the world could not contain the books thereof. Do you see how much persuasion that it would take for that? And folks, I just want to step back and encourage you to not necessarily be upset with someone who really who really wants to see this in their Bibles, who really wants to scrutinize from Genesis all the way through Revelation, that what you're saying really is so. These men were doing that. And they had questions, did they not? And they would ask him those questions. And he would relate it to them. He would give to them new revelation, things that had not been known since the foundation of the earth. And in that upper room, he told them, I'm going away. And there's a lot more things that I would like to tell you. But you can't bear them now. But one day you will be able to bear them and the Holy Spirit will come and He will glorify me in giving you what I say, I'm going to say to you. And you're going to write those words down. You're going to inscripturate them in a book that we call the New Testament. Everything that the Word made flesh wanted to communicate to us in this life, you have it right there in your hands.
the apostles beheld and they spoke about this miracle of miracles. Because folks, when you when you really behold and see the greatest of all miracles that ever could be or that ever will be, you can't help but open your mouth about this. Today's Christmas, and many of you, after this morning's service, you will go home, you will have a meal, you will probably open some measure or some form of gifts, and as a parent, you take great delight in seeing your children happy, don't you? When you're a child, it's all about, most of the time, getting the gifts. When you're an adult, it's all about giving the gifts. And when they get those gifts, and maybe it's something that they wanted, or maybe something they didn't know they wanted, but now after they saw it, they know I want it. What do they do? Do they go off in the corner and just sulk? Or are they excited about it? Do they want to talk about it? Before they go rip the next gift open. (laughs) In other words, folks, there's communication because they realize something that is delightful to their carnal soul. How much more should the church today open their mouths about this, especially in this Christmas season? And John writes in 1 John chapter 1, he says in verse 3, what we have seen, And what we have heard, we proclaim to you also. Folks, the disciples preached. Now listen to my words carefully. The disciples preached eternal life. They didn't preach about eternal life. They preached eternal life. If you ask me, eternal life? Yes, they preached Christ who is life eternal. He's the Word, is He not? Made flesh. And in the Word, that Word made life, uh, uh, made man in that Word is life. They're preaching Christ. The same Word and the same life that was with God and was God and was manifested in the fullness of times in a human body through the man Christ Jesus to the select group of men. And those apostles have written what we need to see and know down. They wrote down the preaching. They wrote down what they saw. They wrote down about the person that they touched. Why did they do that? It says in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with who? Everybody see that? 
Folks, they wanted you to have the same fellowship that they are having. What fellowship did they have? They had fellowship with the one they heard and the one they beheld His glory and the one they touched. Now we can't touch Him today. We can't see Him in a physical body today, but we can behold the glory in the pages of our Bibles. This whole Bible speaks of Him. And they wanted us to have that same fellowship with them. And their fellowship, no verse 3 again, their fellowship is with the Father. And with His Son who? Jesus Christ. And folks, that's what I want for you. I want you, if you're here today, and you may know about Him, but you don't know Him. I want you to have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the apostolic writings. The living Word and the written Word are one. They are one essence. And do you know what that would bring to you? Did you see verse 4 of 1 John chapter 1? These things we write so that our, our joy may be complete. Folks, we'll get to this when we get to Galatians 5, but joy is an affection. It's not merely an emotion. It's a movement of your will to delight in the one you're fellowshipping with. You can have all kinds of adverse circumstances and yet have this affection in your heart. And John is writing this down. The whole purpose, if you're going to confine it to the book of 1 John, he's trying to bring stability. He's trying to bring a fullness of persuasion to this congregation that had been shook with false teaching and teachers that had now departed from them. And he is writing about Christ so that their joy would be what? Full, complete. There's nothing wrong with taking joy in material things. There's nothing wrong with taking joy in the actions of other people. But there's no joy like this joy. It is a joy that once you have experienced, it will never leave you. It can only grow in you. Do you hear that? 
Folks, He's the living water. Once you partake of Him, you don't go to any other fountain. Only your heart can get greater to experience more of that fountain. And the Scripture declares to us very, very plainly, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 1, that this Word that became flesh is how God speaks to us today. He speaks to us through Word. A Word that has become flesh and a Word that has been communicated and written down. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, God, after He spake long ago, how did He do this? To the fathers. What was the means? Through fallen mankind. Through prophets. In many portions and in many ways. It was progressive revelation that God gave to us through fallen mankind. But, verse 2, in these last days, how's God speaking to us in these last days? He is speaking to us in His who? Son. You want to hear God today? You don't wait around for visions. You don't wait around for speaking in tongues or miracles. You don't wait around for a still small voice. He has spoken to us in who? In His Son. The Word that became flesh. That's how God speaks to us. As we observe Him, we hear Him. We hear His teaching. We hear who He is. We hear of His person. And as our eyes behold Him in the mirror of the glass of the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit illumines, He glories in that Word to our eyes, and He opens the eyes of our understanding, and we behold Him, and that glory we're changed into the same image, into the same person that we are beholding in our texts of our Bibles. Days of visions and dreams and all that is past. Christ is vastly superior to any other communication that God could give to us. It is so vast, it's like it's not even on the scale. Folks, if I put the Word made flesh on the right side and I put dreams and visions and still small voices on the other side, what is that? Those things on the left side are lighter than light. They're empty of emptiness compared to God so loving the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. Because the Word is the communication of God, isn't it? That's what a Word is. It's communication. He, He is the communication to us today. 
And that is why we are to proclaim Him to a lost and dying world. It is the eternal Word embodied in the man Christ Jesus. Vastly superior to any communication through any fallen man. And folks, remember that that communication in the Old Testament was inspired. It was God-breathed, was it not? But it wasn't the Word made flesh. This Word made flesh is the radiance of the glory of God. This Word made flesh is the engraving of God's own nature. It is this Word made flesh that is going to inherit all things. And it is through the Son, the Word made flesh, that all that came into being is. And that same Word made flesh sustains all things that have ever come into being by the Word of His power. And it is the same Word made flesh that is King of kings and Lord of lords, vastly superior to anybody else on this globe that has been or ever will be, including the Antichrist. And this Word made flesh. Made atonement for you and me. Folks, it's one thing to be stunned at the eternal Word taking on humanity. It's another thing to think of the eternal Word giving His flesh for the life of the world. He allowed the very beings that He is sustaining to lay hands on Him and to nail Him on a tree and to declare Him cursed of God. Is that not amazing? I wouldn't let that happen. And you wouldn't let that happen. But God sent His Son so that that would happen. Folks, deity can't die. But deity taking on human flesh experienced death on our behalf. It is this Word flesh that arranged Himself under God the Father in this life. He took on the form of a slave. He was made in the likeness of man. Deity in humanity humbled Himself, becoming obedient in all things, even unto death, even to the most cruel form of death in this life. I mean, folks, you and I, we have something bad to us and immediately we're questioning God. He never questioned God. Never. He submitted under whatever those circumstances were. He walked in the light of His Father. He loved Him with all of His heart, all of His soul, all of His mind. And He loved His neighbor as Himself. And He gave Himself, as it were, for His neighbor so that those who receive Him have the right to be called the children of God. (laughs) 
Is it any amazing thing to you that God the Father would highly exalt Him? And give Him a name that is supreme over all other supremacies. Every other creature, every other created being, visible or invisible, will bow to Him, heavenly or earthly. And they will all bow to Him and confess that this man, Jesus, is both Lord and Christ to the glory of God the Father. And folks, that's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He told that nation that God had made this same Jesus as His human name, right? This same Jesus, both Lord and Christ. That's the type of preaching that can save today. And folks, as we conclude, this Word that has become flesh and dwelt among us, the Word that the apostles saw the glory thereof, what glory did they see? Something unique. The only begotten of the Father Did you hear that? Only begotten of the Father. There's only one way to God through the only begotten of the Father. Now folks, that man, that Word becoming flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the embodiment of grace and truth. Folks, grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is actually the power. It's the life that comes to us. He's full of grace and full of truth. And in verse 16 of John 1, he says this for believing people. Now note this. For of His fullness, we don't receive the totality of the fullness or we would be deity. Of His fullness, we all, meaning all who have received Him, we all received grace upon Grace. Well, John, how can you write that? Because, folks, the law was given through who? All right. And tell me about Moses. He was a great man, wasn't he? But he was a fallen man. The law, which is good and holy and just, the law came through that man. 
But what is that compared to grace and truth through Jesus Christ? Folks, who is Moses compared to Christ? The Word made flesh. What is law compared to the grace and the truth that has been communicated to us through the Word made flesh? Folks, there's no comparison. Those words that Moses delivered to them was on tablets of stone. The Word communicated to us was through a human man. Jesus Christ the Lord. There is no comparison. All of this grace and truth embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, God, The Word. Eternal life. All of this is embodied in a human nature that is, that is the self-expression of God in its totality. Amazing. Now folks, doesn't it seem to appear a little silly for us to take a day of Christmas and give gifts to one another compared to this. Doesn't it? The Bible is very clear on the type of gift that we should be giving on this day. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. That is the gift that we give back to God for the gift that He has given to us. Have you done that? Are you doing that? No doubt that as a believer who is versed in the Scripture, you're saying, yes, but I fall short of the glory of what I should be doing. And that will be forever. (laughs) Folks, we bear in our bodies the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it is of that glory that in John 17, Jesus prayed that He would give you. Listen to it. And the glory which you have given Me, 
I have given them. Folks, what was the glory that God the Father gave to Jesus? It's the glory that the disciples beheld. It was the glory of the Word becoming what? Flesh. And Jesus says, the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Word abiding in us, the Spirit of Christ in us, Letting the Word of Christ dwelling richly in us so that we are filled with that Spirit of His. The glory which you have given me, I have given them so that this may happen. That they may be one. Even as we are one. That we may be unioned in Him in the same manner in which the Son of God is union in the Father. Folks, what would it be like, which we will never gain, what would it be like to be ever approaching the fullness of God in Christ? Would that not be glorious? Glory unspeakable and full of glory. And folks, we behold the glory in the pages of the Word, We have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God as a treasure inside of us who have been born again. And Jesus concludes that prayer by telling the Father that it is His will. It is the will of the Word for us to behold His glory. A glory not like momentary at the Mount of Transfiguration but a glory with eyes unveiled, a faith that becomes sight. He says, Father, I will. The Word wills that they also, whom You have given Me, be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory. Now listen to this. Which You have given Me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. In the beginning was the Word. And the Father loved the Word and showed all things of His glory to the Word. And the Word reflected that glory and that fullness to the Father. This is what Christmas is about. This is what Christmas is concerning. And folks, the gap, maybe I should have written the chasm between the world's idea of what many have called a cultural Christmas with the truth of God's Christmas is infinitely wide. 
What will the people of this earth see in your Christmas today? Will they see you celebrating the cultural Christmas or will they see you celebrating the Word made flesh? And those of you that are here today have begun to tell the world that that's what you see by being in the Lord's house on this day. Let's pray.